So everybody, delighted and thrilled to see you here. Alma, Mount Pleasant and online, thank you for joining us today. I'm so happy uh, that you are here to listen to God's Word spoken into your life. And I want to welcome you to week number two of this series, God and Culture. And in case you're joining us for the very first time, this series is very brief. It's a two-week series, but it's a, it's a, it's a very, very unique series for us um, in terms of uh, probably a typical Sunday. Uh, this message today will be hard-hitting. And uh, I think it'll certainly be the, the highest challenge uh, message in this brief series. Uh, I believe there will be a prophetic edge over God's Word speaking into your hearts and into your lives today, so much so that I will say today that there will be individuals listening to the sound of my voice this morning who will be somewhat offended by what I bring to you from the heart and the Word of God. So you have been duly uh, warned. Uh, in all seriousness, it's actually the kind of message that individuals would say, I'm not coming back to this church anymore. That's actually the kind of message uh, that I'm going to preach right now. And so I want to ask you, I think it is critically, critically important. Would you, after this message is complete, would you give yourself an opportunity to catch your breath? And would you wait? And what I, could I please ask you to allow, allow a few days to come and go? And in that time, allow even your emotions, give them a chance to just balance out a little bit. And I would ask you to come before God and to maybe be really honest with Him. Maybe that's something you can pray this afternoon. Maybe it's midweek. Maybe it's a week from now. And that you would actually say, Lord, I didn't like that. I don't know that I agree with that. I don't know that I want to agree with that. But God... If there's anything you would say to me, then I want to hear it. I would ask you to take your time, catch your breath, and come before God, even if it means just waiting a few hours or maybe even a few days. I would ask you to listen today with an open heart and with an open mind, and I promise you this, what I will share with you will be from the Word of God, and therefore, it will represent the heart and the mind of God. I mentioned one or two items last week, and I'm going to repeat them uh, deliberately. To not say what I'm going to speak into your lives today would be a failure on my part as a shepherd to you, as a pastor in your life, were I simply to not say that. And then again, I mentioned this last week, to not say this would be a whole lot easier. To simply not bring this stuff up would be a whole lot easier for me personally, to be honest with you. To not say this it would mean that we are taking the bits of the Bible that we like and saying, I'm going to keep that. And then to take the bits of the Bible that we don't like and to say, we'll discard of that. And we can never do that. In fact, as a local church, we will never, ever do that. We believe in the whole Word of God. And we don't get to uh, have our favorite little passages and then discard or remove the pieces that we're not so happy about. To do that would be a lack of integrity as a church. To do that, for me personally, then I would be somewhat of a hypocrite to stand in front of you. We as a church believe in the whole Word of God, and we will read it, and we will study the Word of God, whether it gives us the warm fuzzies inside or whether it makes us squirm and cringe inside, whether it's difficult for us to hear. Today, what I preach to you I am preaching to me. What applies to you applies to my life as well. Because we know this, 
that oftentimes on the other side of difficult is what is best. On the other side of what can be painfully difficult for us to experience or to understand or to grapple with actually is where we find what is God's best for our lives. And we know this, that God's truth, though we may struggle with it, it will set us free. That's what it will do in our lives. So, aren't you so glad you came to church today? <laughs> How's that for an introduction? As we get started, I want to introduce you to uh, two character qualities that I believe are signatures of any healthy spiritual community just like this. In fact, these two character qualities would be a descriptor of any spiritually healthy person, just you as an individual. So as I share with these to you at the very onset here, I want you to just evaluate yourself and say, do I have these in my life? Or maybe to what degree do I have this in my life? The first character quality is the humility of approachability. So as I live my life and as I walk uh, with Jesus Christ, I have to be approachable. I have to live my life in such a way that I carry around in me a healthy sense of my own need, that I don't know everything and I don't have everything, that I have needs in my life, and I must move forward in my life aware that I am not an island unto myself that has everything figured out. I cannot go forward in my life defensive if a person were to come up to me, perhaps to point out something in my life that I don't see within myself. I must have a capacity within me to be approachable. And I would say that for you also and for us as a community. It is simply a, a disciple who's willing to listen to another person, willing to consider a leader who, when somebody says something hard to you, doesn't sort of knee-jerk move to the place where you become defensive. Or somebody's saying something to you and you don't like it, and all of a sudden you're trying to stand up for your own righteousness, or even worse, I'm going to turn the tables on this person to make them know that they're worse than I am and they really can't say those kinds of things to me. The humility of approachability. This is a healthy thing for you and for me and for us as a church. The second one is the courage of loving honesty. Love takes courage. If you have a friend in your life and you see them going down the ro wrong road, thinking thoughts that may be dark or maybe they're not from the heart of God, the easy thing is to say nothing. The loving thing is to have a conversation with them, to actually go there. Because I love you, because I love you, I'm going to make myself uncomfortable and I'm willing to have Perhaps a tense conversation, an awkward or a difficult and challenging conversation. That is the courage of loving honesty. Please know, truth has to be spoken with love. It has to be. In fact, when we get up on our high horse and we're like, well, I know what the truth is, and you blurt it out at people or you bark at people, what happens is I think the truth gets lost or somehow the truth gets warped, the other person just builds up a brick wall, and you don't find that they're better off, they're actually worse off because of your attempt to speak truth into their life. We probably all know people, even in the context of the church, truth was spoken to them, and it was so unloving, so judgmental, that eventually what happened to them is they became utterly lost and alone. So I pray that these are two qualities that we would have in large supply as a local church and then for you individually. So, Father, I want to pray right now. Would you give us humility 
as we approach you this morning and as we ask to receive loving, honest words from you, even if they're hard, even if they're tough, because, Lord, we trust that you are good, and therefore, what you have for us is good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is my conviction that the church, that the gospel, and that the word of God are all coming under increasing attack and scrutiny and accusation in this present age. I want to speak to everyone, everyone listening to me here, but in particular to young men and to young women today. Unless there is a complete revival of God in this land, young man, young woman, you are going to have to make a decision as to whether or not you are going to stand up and place your two feet on the Word of God in your life, according to the Word as it is, as it is written. If you will not do that, I am very concerned that your generation will suffer more than any generation has ever suffered on this continent. So what are you to do? What are you to look to? If this generation is to remain strong in God, they must love the Lord and serve the Lord and honor the Lord, and you are going to have to live your life in the Scripture, in the Word of God. If today you look at your life and you would say, I don't know where I'm at with my walk in the Lord, or I don't, maybe I just don't know the Bible, or I have a hard time, and you would honestly say, I don't know that I'm very strong, I think I'm actually weak. When the going actually gets tough, you're going to crumble if you're weak today. The only way to move forward is on your knees. If you want to take a stand and know where you stand and what you stand upon, when this world accuses you of intolerance and hate and bigotry, the only way for you to stand today is for you to kneel today, to kneel in prayer, to kneel in the Word of God. And if you're looking for the quick fix, if you're looking for the silver bullet, I don't have it. If you're looking for three quick steps to success and smiles, I don't have it. You're going to have to cling to Jesus Christ. God is looking for young men and young women who will spend time in prayer before God, who will feed on the Word of God. Otherwise, you are playing at Christianity. Or will you be that person who dives into the Word of God in your life and then grows and conforms into the image of Jesus Christ? I have too many friends, way too many friends, particularly from my teenage years and my 20s, I spent so much time to them. It was as though we lived in church because we, we went to meetings and we worshiped and we opened the Bible and we talked about Jesus and we served the Lord and we, we did all of these things together. And I look at their lives today and they are utterly lost. They are gone. Their convictions have eroded like wax in the sun. They are gone. They are not following the Lord anymore at all. To live for God you will be called to swim against the current and the stream like never before. And I see so many young men in particular who are wasting their strength. I see so many young women in particular who have no idea who they are. They don't know what their identity is at all. The strength required of you will not come from your own sort of sheer will or a good look attitude, or a little skip in your step, or an I can do this. It simply won't come from any of these things. Look at this passage in 1 John. 
Verse 14 says this, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. Why are you strong? And the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Fifteen years of age, the Holy Spirit did a work in my life, and I buried myself in the word of God, and I couldn't read. I couldn't read three sentences. My comprehension was so poor. I buried myself in the word of God, and I could not put it down. God did something in my life as a young man. We are only as strong as we spend time in His presence and in prayer and deep in His Word. Today, I'm going to address three hugely challenging and difficult realities that exist in our world today. You will be familiar with every single one of, you, uh, one of them. The reason why we're going to tackle this is because I want you to know the truth and because I want you to live in the truth. And I want you to be able to stand. First area is sexuality. What an incredibly important issue in our day. Everyone today is talking about sex all the time. Take myself back a generation. We just didn't talk about it. But everyone today is openly talking about sexuality. And the Creator has lovingly, in the Word of God, given us a biblical definition of sexuality. God has given that to us. And I'm going to say it to you quite simply right now in one simple sentence. It is this. Sex is designed to take place between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. Period. Anything outside of that definition of sex, of sex is disobedience, rebellion, and sin in my life and in your life. And this applies equally to every single person listening to me today. No matter your age or your gender or your marital status. No matter whether you are attracted to the same sex or to the opposite sex. It applies to every single one of us. I have been married to my wife, Kelly, for 23 years. Any expression of sexuality for me in my life, outside of my wife, within the context of our marriage, is disobedience and rebellion and sin in my own life. Traditionally, the church has done a woeful job at addressing this. Horrendous. The church, in particularly in the last 20 years, has cherry-picked one singular sin in sexuality, and that is homosexuality. And it has made that out to be the ultimate disgusting sin. The church has been guilty of giving truth without love. Holding placards with vile statements and judgmental statements in front of them. With their heads held high in righteous indignation. And my honest assessment is that a large portion of those people have held those placards and marched up and down with vitriol coming out of their mouth. All the while, they're addicted in their own lives to, porno to pornography and extramarital affairs. Quick to, to dish out judgment, slow to dish out mercy. Quick to remember that the Old Testament clearly defines homosexuality, strong language, as an abomination before God, but very slow to remember that the same Old Testament also defines lying as an abomination before God. To which I would ask the question, how many of you listening to me today have ever told a lie which therefore means that every one of us are an abomination before God. 
if you have been on the receiving end of heartless, loveless judgment from the church, you have my apology today. I'm so sorry that the church would treat you like that. I would ask you to never judge any system of thought by its abuse. And that is an abuse of Christ's system of thought. I'm so sorry that you were hurt and wounded in your sexuality. Nevertheless, if I am to have any integrity as your pastor, I am compelled to tell you that the only form of sexual expression that God blesses is between a man and a woman and in the context of marriage. Romans chapter 12 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true. This is your true and proper worship. What is God asking of you? I think it's C.S. Lewis, and I'm going to paraphrase it probably quite poorly. He says something along the lines of, like, if you're looking for a religious system of thought, if you're looking for some kind of faith that's going to give you a life that's easygoing, he says, don't look at Christianity. Don't go, don't go there if that's what you're looking for. This scripture in Romans talks about presenting our entire physical bodies, this flesh and blood right here, and offering that up to God. But actually, what is God asking of anyone who calls themselves a follower of Christ? I'll tell you what it is. He's actually asking everything of you. When you pray things, God, like, God, I give you my life. I surrender myself to you. What you're saying is, God, I give you all of it, everything. My mind, my money, my career, my relationships, my possessions, my physical body, my sexuality. God, I'm giving all of that up to you. The man who gains his life loses it. The man who loses his life for my sake finds his life. This is the call from God. And look at this language in the New Testament, to die to yourself. That's what I've been called to. That's what you've been called to. To actually die to what you want. That's a high calling. God asks you for everything. How often in your life or in my life have we said, well, God, absolutely, I give you everything. And then a week later, you're like, oh, accept this. God, I'll I'll give you my time, but I won't give you my money. God, I'll give you my service, but I won't forgive that person, not, not after what they did. God, I'll give you everything, and then you bump into the desires of your own sexuality, and you say, God, I'll give you everything, but I won't give you my sexuality. I understand very well that as I'm speaking these words, this is deeply personal for so many people. Firstly, because there's individuals listening to me right now, and what I've just defined as God's parameters and boundaries for sexuality, you know that you're living outside of them right now. That's hard to hear. The other one is huge. For some of you listening to me, as we've defined a biblical definition of God's obedience and sexuality, it's not so much that you're living outside of it, but somebody that you love and care for deeply is living outside of this. And you made your mind up actually a while ago where you you just kind of changed things in your thoughts and you said, you know what? I'm okay with what they're doing. In fact, I'm going to celebrate what they're doing in their life. I'm going to let them know that I support that. 
And now you're listening to me today and you're like, I don't know if I like what I'm hearing. Because I've already made my mind up because someone that I deeply care about, someone that is very, very dear to me, someone even within the LGBTQI plus community that I love deeply, I've already said yes to them. I've already gotten behind them and said, go for it. Because it was your son. Because it was your best friend. Because it was your uncle. Because it was your sister. I can only direct you to the Word of God this morning and tell you this, that God is good. He is actually good. And what He says to you is good and right. And actually, it's what's best for your daughter. It's what is best for the person that you care about so much. That I understand. You don't want to hurt them. You don't want to reject them. But what I'm saying to you is what is God's best for your brother or your aunt or your next door neighbor or that person that you worked with for 20 years. The second issue I'd like to address with you today is that of gender. I trust that you appreciate right now that what I'm going to do in the next 10 seconds is walk into a minefield. Right? We get that, right? This is a minefield. It's like you can't say anything without making a mistake. The first thing I want to say is that I have known people who have struggled with this, and I would say that the struggle is a very real struggle. It's not imagined. I have met people, one or two, who have honestly said, actually, I wish I didn't feel like this. I think my life would be easier if I didn't feel the way I do. But I do feel this way, and not only do I feel this way, but like I feel strongly and deeply about my gender, that it needs to be something different to what it is today. I think the struggle is also very, very real for friends and for families who oftentimes have no idea what to do. Do I get behind this individual who perhaps wants to change their gender or wants to have a sense of fluidity in their gender? And do I champion that and, and throw a party for them? Or I see other people like, well, maybe I should put a stop to that and I should get obstacles and preventions and put them in their way. Uh, or you get people who are like, I just don't know what to say. I don't even know how to talk to them anymore. And oftentimes I think we have Christians, followers of Christ, and we just don't even know what to think. What's right? What's wrong? And if you are going through that today, I believe you are facing a very, very tough road ahead of you. My heart goes out to you. Some time ago, Facebook decided to put um, this additional option beyond male and female on your profile. Within hours, there were 71 new genders, and they just shut it down completely. And then they turned it to a tailor-made option. You just define it however you want. I was looking at one particular author, and he provided three possible frameworks for understanding gender. The first is the integrity model. The second is what's known as the disability model. And the third is the diversity model. The integrity model is probably when a Christian comes along and is just trying to make sense of this and trying to sort of give this sort of whole circumspect view of life's meaning and purpose and destiny and what are we supposed to do and they're looking at their theology and they don't know what to do and they're trying to cram it all in together wanting desperately to hold on to what they think is right and what they think is wrong the second one is the disability model and actually that's nothing to do with the church this is something that has existed in psychology for years where 
psychology viewed individuals who said, I would like to change from male to female or, male to, or from female to male. And they said, actually, what you have is you have a disability. You have a brokenness in your thinking. And then in more recent years, psychology has looked at that. And they said, well, we can't say that anymore. We can't say that people are disabled who think like that. And so they introduced a third model, which is the diversity model, which basically is probably what's most prevalent and common today, where the world would look at individuals who want to shift or transition or have fluidity in their gender, and they would simply say, you just go ahead and embrace anything you want. And that's simply diversity. And we celebrate that, and we understand that that's the way things are. So there they are, integrity, disability, and diversity. Well, I have a question with that. My question is, why can't we have a fourth framework? Why can't we have another model entirely? And I would like to suggest that we could call that a divine framework. And the divine framework works very, very differently because you come before God and you ask Him, what is your transcendent truth when it comes to gender? What is your transcendent truth that could be applied to my present, my here and now? What is your ultimate God? And how can I bring your ultimate to bear in my life right now in this moment. God, what is your intent? It's a good question. What is your intent when it comes to gender? And then you say, God, bring your voice to bear in the here and now of my life. Transcendent truth is now moved into our hearts, but this is so rare. And I'll tell you why it's so rare. In fact, you already know why it's so rare. Because when you have a person who struggles either with their gender or their sexuality, they are being driven by deep, deep feelings. And you want to move in the direction of what you want. We all know this. In fact, if you place gender and sexuality and put it on the shelf for a moment, this actually applies to everything. Every one of us are well, well aware of what it means to say, well, I tell you what I want. I want food and I want money and I want recognition, and I want reputation, and I want power, I want affirmation, I want stuff, I want possessions, whatever it is, we have this universal, uncanny ability to talk ourselves into anything that we want. We have this unbelievable power within us to rationalize and to justify, well, this is what I want, so this is my logic, I'm not going to shift my thinking because... I want what I want. And so I'm going to figure out a way to describe that. And when you do that, particularly in the area of gender and sexuality, what you're not doing is you're not coming before God and saying, what is your transcendent truth? What is your intent? I'm asking you to bring that to bear in my life today. You don't even ask the question because you're too busy rationalizing and justifying you getting what you want. Why? Because you feel deeply about this. You have passionate desires looking to move you in a particular direction. But I would say to you today that that direction is opposed to God. Well, I could never believe in a God who would not allow me to embrace my identity. I'm not doing it. I could never believe in a God who would not allow individuals to say, I'm going to move from this gender to the other gender, or I'm going to be attracted to both genders, or I'm going to be fluid in my gender from one day to the next. 
I'm neither of those genders. I'm both of those genders. How could you ask me to believe in such an unloving God? I would say to you today, you are asking the wrong question of the king of the universe. Because you are approaching the king of the universe on your terms. It's the wrong question. You are rejecting God on the basis of your desires. You are saying no to God on the basis of your passions. You're saying, my agenda is greater than your person. What I want is wiser than your wisdom. And quite simply, that is pride. It is arrogance. You stiff arm God because God has failed. How has God failed? You stiff arm God because God has failed to agree with you. I want you to contrast that approach to God to that of the blind beggar in the New Testament who's sitting on the edge of the road and has an awareness that Jesus is passing by and he shouts out, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's how we're supposed to approach God. Do you see the humility and the contrite heart? Son of David, have mercy on me. Nope. You have failed to agree with me. You have failed to agree with my feelings. You have failed to agree with my rationale and my justification, my struggles. And that's how we approach the Creator. Unless God agrees with me about my sexuality and my gender, then He can take a hike. Wrong question. How about this? God, here I am. This is me. This is what I want. And oh man, do I want it. This is my sexuality. This is my struggles. This is my gender. This is where I think my identity is going. This is my, my desires. This is even my brokenness. What is your intent for my gender? What is your intent for my sexuality? Right question. In today's world, you will hear the phrase, anatomy is not destiny. But interestingly, in the eyes of God, what he said about anatomy, in fact, we just read it in Romans, is this, you are a temple of the living God. That's what he says about your anatomy, your physical body. And the restrictions that are placed on me and the restrictions that are placed on you from God, honestly, they're pretty tough. Everyone here, everyone here knows temptations and inclinations and proclivities to move in a direction in terms of gender and sexuality. And anyone who says they don't has not lived a real life. I am given boundaries by God. I am. Boundaries that I don't necessarily like and I don't necessarily want. I am told by God what I can and cannot do with my physical body. My feelings... Don't come into question. It is the Word of God. It actually has nothing to do with how I feel. Whether my mind or my feelings feel inclined to, we are given direction and intention by God. So often today, I hear this word thrown around, expression. I have to be given the right to just express myself. 
I have to have permission. I have to be allowed. I have to have the freedom to express myself in any way that I want. As if expression is the guiding beacon for our lives. I feel, and I get it, I feel deeply and powerfully about something. I feel, therefore, I get to do. I feel something, therefore, I am. I don't think that's what feelings are at all. Feelings, at their very best, simply describe how you feel. That's all they do. They don't tell you who you are, and they don't tell you what to do. They're just your feelings. Intention has to be the guiding beacon of my life. Intention from God. Every one of us are seduced into directions that are counter to the way that we know we should go in God. And yes, some of those feelings are very, very deep. But it's not any less real for any person here at all. The guiding beacon that God has given me in His Word is simply to state, you are created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1 says this about your gender. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. I don't know if you know this, but you were born wrong. You were born all wrong. You came into this world wrong. And this is where your feelings and your desires will actually lead you down the wrong road. There are many of us, in fact, I would say all of us, and you have these feelings, and they seem so natural to you. You're actually very accustomed to them because you might have felt them for years, if not all your life. They feel very innate to us, but they will lead you down the wrong road. From the very beginning of our lives, we have feelings that are simply wrong. We come into this world with desires and tendencies that simply do not reflect the person of God and who He made us to be. That is why under the cover of night, this old man by the name of Nicodemus approaches Jesus Christ and he says, Jesus says to him something that is extraordinarily offensive. He looks at this man who has added so much to his life and he says to him, you have to be born again because you were born wrong. You have to be born all over again. This is a man who had added so much to his life, so much learning and religion, so much good behavior. And Jesus says, none of that is enough. You actually need to be transformed. You need to begin all over again. You need to come to life from death. You need to be born again. You can't patch it up. You need to be made new. You need a new self. And that's what Jesus says to every one of us. Luke chapter 9, look at the strength of these words. If anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. <laughs> Hold on a second. Let's just read that again. If anybody wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. I don't want to give up my own way. I want what I want. Look at this language. You have to take up your cross daily and follow me. And this is what it means to say, God, I give you my life. I think every person has a sense that you're not the way you're supposed to be. When Jesus says, if you want to be who I made you to be, you must follow me, you must deny yourself, 
that's denying yourself of some of the things that are deepest within you, that you feel are most defining of you. And when you do that, you actually become the you that God intended to begin with. The you that he had in mind. When he made you, that was a good day. When he made you, he said, this is very good. When he put you together, when he had the idea of you, when he created you, when he created your biology, when he thought you up, this was a good thing, not a wrong thing. The self you deny is actually the distorted self. And when you deny the distorted self, you actually start to become the real self. And although I understand that that can be very painful to hear, when the Bible talks about male and female, it is very clear that the language is binary and not a blend. When a person feels like they need to make some kind of shift from one gender to another, that feeling, no matter how strong it is, no matter how convinced you are of it, it does not override the fact that God put your biology together and that it is sacred and that He made you male or He made you female. And in that, He calls you to the task of denying that distort as each of us are called to deny a thousand distortions in our lives every day. You see, our preferences and our instincts and our desires are simply not to be trusted. I wouldn't trust my desires at all. And that is the case for every person, transgender or not. Sin has distorted us. Those false identities are not a sign of how God created us. They're a sign of how broken we are. Transgenderism is all about how do I feel inside? This innate feeling. There are feelings that your biology doesn't match where your body is right now. That your gender doesn't align with your biological sex. Biblically speaking, you are a flawed masterpiece. That's what you are. We are created by God. We are created for God. And when he made you, he said, you are very good. He is the creator. He is the inventor. He is the sculptor. He is the artist. He is the creator of you. And therefore, identity is not your job to figure out. It's not your job to create. Our identity is given to us as human beings made in the image of God, created specifically male or female. We do not allow feelings to define us, even strong feelings. At best, they just describe how we feel. They do not describe who you are. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, you, I, your identity is as a man of God, is as a woman of God. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we try to walk with Jesus to align our bodies to, and our desires and our thinking and our rationales and our behaviors and our identity to have them found in the person of Jesus Christ. And this demands careful thought and careful prayer and God's help. Church, you're doing a good job. Thank you for tracking with me. You guys okay? Last one. Number three. Children. I'd like to talk to you about children. I'm deeply concerned about shifts in this particular country that I believe places children in tremendous 
dangerous and vulnerable positions. The Word of God places the responsibility of raising children on the government. That was a test. <laughs> the Word of God places responsibility for raising children onto the education system. The Word of God raises responsibility for raising children onto the church. You might be like, oh, does it? Let me tell you, and I'll stop joking with you now. The Word of God places responsibility for raising children onto parents. That is the Word of God. <laughs> Jesus' language around this is extraordinarily strong in the New Testament. It's like shocking stuff. He says, don't stop these little children coming to me. He says this. He says, for such is the kingdom of God. Don't keep these children away from me. And then he goes on further. It's so strong. He says, if any one of you causes one of my little children to stumble and sin, it would be better. Look at this language. It's unbelievable. It would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and to be dropped off into the ocean to drown. That would be a better thing for you than to stand in front of me having done this kind of damage to a child. Shocking stuff. There is both responsibility and warning in that passage. Parents are responsible for raising their children. The church will partner with you. Parents are responsible for raising their children far more so than the education system or than the government. In preparing for today, I sat down and I spoke with a multiplicity of individuals who work in this field. I read many articles. I looked at many debates and forums. Here's what I learned. In this country today, in parts of this country today, there are efforts to permit young children to legally and permanently change the gender of their bodies through surgery, through hormones, through puberty blockers, all in the name of gender-affirming care. There are efforts for these things to be done in some states, even without parental consent, muting parents' voices, laying on the shoulders of babies. Decisions that they are unfit to comprehend and unfit to carry. This country has several locations where children of both genders are permitted to share bathrooms and changing rooms, removing the right of a child to privacy in a very vulnerable place. There, are, there is a component in certain states that is trying to undermine parents, circumventing parents. If a child came to school and said, if a boy said, well, now I'm a girl, that the church's, excuse me, that the school's response would actually be to keep a sense of secrecy in that for the child, to not even include the parents, and then allow that child to be called by a different name, and then to facilitate that child throughout the course of their education in terms of bathrooms and locker rooms and all that stuff, sometimes not even, even giving the child a different name and never informing uh, the, the parents of the different name or the treatment that is taking place of that child. I learned that sexual education in several states, that the content has shifted to curriculum where they are now teaching oral sex to third graders. Why are we bringing genital awareness to seven-year-olds? Why are we bringing genital awareness to eight-year-olds? Why are we talking to them about that? Why are we showing them that? Children are being targeted effectively. And parents don't know. Parents feel ill-equipped. 
Parents are worried that if they say anything, they will be labeled bigots or haters if they disagree at all. And what's happened to this thinking is it's become normal. It has become every day. Christ followers, unaware of perhaps what the Word of God even says, or maybe they do know what the Word of God says, but they're ignoring it. They're taking out the bits that they don't like, and they're discarding of it. I want to challenge every Christ followers here, listening to my voice, as you represent the gospel of Jesus Christ, as you represent the local church, as you represent Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you're also representing rainbows. I see it on your car, on your profile page. I see it flags in your homes. And there is a disconnect. You are representing something that the Word of God says is disobedience to the Father. And you're also saying at the same time, I'm representing the gospel. I see Christ followers embracing a plurality and mixture of genders that do not reflect the word of God. It's becoming normal. It's becoming everywhere. In fact, what I am saying to you today is now becoming abnormal. You are being bombarded by friends and neighbors and colleagues and every form of media. And let me tell you something. It's working. It's turning your head. It is forming your opinion. Child of God, if you are being bombarded to the point where you've begun to wonder, perhaps my church convictions and my faith convictions are unreasonable. I want you to hear something. Hold on to the word of God. Don't be shaken. Hold firm to your faith in God and represent the gospel with love and gentleness and beauty and power. Parents, I want you empowered to act on behalf of your child, to move on behalf of your child. For those of you listening to me today, and I get the temptation for some of you who are like, well, finally, you know, somebody's saying it. You go for it, pastor. Bring the truth. I would just say to you, that kind of bravado actually doesn't serve your brother or sister who's struggling with their gender or with their sexuality. It doesn't serve them well when we actually raise up like that. For the person today who's listening to me and you simply do not like what I'm saying, the temptation to march out of this church and to accuse us of sexual phobias or intolerance or, in ha or hatred, if that's what you honestly think, I'm telling you right now, you've missed it. We love you. We love you enough to have the uncomfortable, difficult, tension-filled conversation with you. John chapter 10, verse 10, you need to know this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Obedience to, Je to Jesus Christ, which is not what your desires want, is actually a recipe to life and to life in its all its fullness. You need to know that God is good. But you need to know that there is a spiritual enemy who is evil. God is good. He was good yesterday. He'll be good today. He'll be good tomorrow. That is the character of God. But we have this description in John chapter 10 of what the evil one is like and what he does and what his demons do. And if you find yourself today and this curiosity is inside of you, this interest 
in sort of following a current cultural stream of thinking, if you're looking and interested in moving outside of the bounds of God's Word and how God defines biblical sexuality, if you're curious to know how this social experiment with children is going to go, if you're feeling that you're being drawn in by strong feelings about what your gender is or what it could be or how it could change, I want to lovingly tell you that none of those things are going to end well for you. They're just not. They stand opposed to what God says in His Word. And here's what we know. What is opposed to God and His wisdom and His leadership, His guidance, His commands, is therefore in alignment with the evil one. That's what it is. The evil one who wants to kill, steal, and destroy. God has plans for you. They're not plans to harm you. They're plans for a hope and a future. This Satan, his plans is to harm you. Satan wants to steal your identity. He wants to confuse and to warp who you are. Here is the work of the devil. Number one, he wants to steal your identity. Some of you do not know who you are. You think the foundation of your identity is your feelings and your desires. Some of you are looking inside of yourself to understand yourself. It's the worst place to look. None of that will be found inside of you. It's found in God. God determines who you are. And if you've been to the cross, I want you to know this. You are a child of God. You are loved by God. You are a man of God. You are a woman of God. You have been transferred from darkness to light. You've been called by God. You've been strengthened. This is who you are. Your identity that God has given you is the identity that the enemy is trying to destroy inside of you. He's trying to steal that from you. Number two, he wants to kill your faith. Satan will try to kill you, but he'll try to kill your faith, especially today, especially right now. Well, if I can't do those things, if I can't be that person, if I can't embrace that identity, then I'm not okay with God. I think it's fine. I think it's harmless. This is just sexual bigotry and hatred. This is just phobic stuff. Jesus comes up to Peter and he says, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I'm praying for you, Peter. What is he praying? He says, I pray that your faith will endure. So the enemy is coming in. He's like, I'm going to kill your faith. That's what I'm going to do. So much so that you will have no trust in God, no expectation that despite that God says these are the boundaries for your life, that He actually has good intended for you. He will destroy your ability to hope for your life, hope for your marriage, hope for your children, hope for your future. He will kill hope. He will kill any expectation in your life today that God is good and has good for you. The enemy is trying to kill your faith. But the Word of God tells us, actually, this is how you live. You live by faith. The righteous live by faith. We walk by faith. We move by faith in the Son of God. We are saved by faith. It is by faith we lay hold of every promise of God. And I speak this over us as a church. Whether you're in your living room, in Alma, in Mount Pleasant, we are a people of faith in God. We move by faith. We believe by faith that the same Christ who defeated the enemy is able to defeat every lie that comes towards our life, over our families, that is intended to kill the faith inside of us. And number three, the enemy is trying to destroy this generation. 
It's not just a personal thing. It's not just a one-on-one thing. It's cultural. It's rampant everywhere. There was a time in this country where most people went to church. That, that day is gone. That day is over. People value church. It's simply not the case anymore. The enemy is coming in to press against an entire mode of thinking, an entire way of functioning in a culture that would move us away from the influence of truth and life. Jesus looks at his generation. Do you know what he says? He describes his generation. He says, you perverse generation. What will be said about this generation? What will be said about us? What will be said about what we believe? Or how we allowed the enemy to just swamp in and have his way? How we see things, how we value things, the generosity of our hearts, how we serve, the use of our time, the giving of our lives over to ministry, all of that right now. It's all up for grabs. It's all hanging on the line. If he can, he will come in and he will destroy it all. To that, here's what I would say about the enemy. Our God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's nobody like Jesus Christ. He is greater than any lie. He has all authority and power and dominion. He is glorious. He is sovereign. He is good. He is powerful. And he is poised to release his power afresh over this generation once again. 1 John chapter 3. The reason the Son of God appeared was what? To destroy the works of the devil. You are in a war. And this is what Jesus does. He stands opposed to darkness. He comes and he redeems and he heals and he restores and he undoes lies. And he takes that which is sinister and broken and he beautifies it and he restores it and he reclaims it and he brings it to new life. And if today you're listening to me and you stand in front of me, a broken man or a broken woman, you've come to the right place. You've come to the right person. If there are things inside of you that stand opposed to God, if you're concerned that your sexuality, maybe you're like, maybe it's wrong, maybe it's warped or it's broken, or your gender has become blurred and your mindset has been swept away and aligned with a destroyed culture, you need to know in this place, in the presence of God, that God brings new life and new hope and healing and faith and trust and love. What am I saying to you today? More than anything else, please hear me. You matter. Your sexuality matters. Your identity, it matters. Who you think you are. Your gender is a sacred thing. Our children are precious and they deserve to be protected powerfully by parents to help them thrive in life and thrive in Jesus Christ. What am I asking of you today? Any person listening to me whose sexuality lies outside of the boundaries that God has stated, repent of your sins and find forgiveness and freedom in Jesus Christ. Any person with gender questions, gender confusion, gender transitioning, any person who has or is in the process of gender transitioning, I would ask you to approach God with humility and to surrender your gender to Him today and ask Him to lead you and guide you. Lastly, parents, disciple your children. 
Disciple your children. Deliberately, proactively, passionately, lovingly, daily. Make sure that your voice is the most exciting, urgent, the most powerful, the most fun influence in the lives above media and politics and policy and culture and especially above the lives of the evil one. Disciple them like their lives depend on it. Church, could you pray with me? Dear God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for tough truth. We thank you for loving truth. Thank you for giving us new life. I pray breakthrough and healing over our identity, our sexuality, our gender, and our children. Please heal us, God. Protect us from the enemy who comes to steal and kill and destroy. And so in this moment, we look to you, and we look to your word, and we trust what you say more than our own opinion, more than this world's opinion, more than our feelings, and certainly more than the deceit and lies of the enemy. You are sovereign, and we lean into your power and your hope this very day. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, I love you. Blessings. Have a good week.